namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara Ye Sodawanda Bamunjantu Satang. So this evening is giving a uh, reflection on Dhamma the way it is, the truth of the way it is. So now everybody just uh, kind of uh, compose yourself and just observe, you know, just look inwardly, not outwardly, and just contemplate the feeling, the mood, the atmosphere that you can recognize at this very moment here and now. Just to be the observer, uh, the puto in the Thai forest tradition, as many, most of you have heard me say many times, this is the kind of mantra. The word that generally used for meditation. And it's, of course, the Buddha's name. Puto is, a, I guess, the mantric form of Buddha. <coughs> and then it's translated as the knowing, or the one who knows, or there's really no one knowing anything, but there's knowing. It's not about me as a person knowing something, or you, but this is the reality of knowing, is this, just the fact that you're, you're aware of the mood, or state of mind, emotional, physical, whether it's pleasure, painful, neutral, happy, sad, or whatever. So this is like a reflecting, reflecting on the way it is. And from this puto position, puto, the knowing, conscious knowing in the present, awakened conscious knowing. So it has a sense of witnessing, observing, noticing, paying attention. And just that alone, it's not about judging it, or the, you know, in terms of right and wrong, good or bad, pleasant or painful, it's the way it is. So this is very simple. But it takes uh, a determination to trust it because the conditioning of the mind is different than this. We're conditioned not to be mindful but to try to get things we don't have or get rid of things we have that we don't like. Uh, it's all about uh, creating ourselves uh, as a person, our sense of ourselves 
separateness, our, well, whether we're good or bad or lovable or not or whatever. We create ourselves a sense of a self, of a separate person. Now with Bhutto, then you're not creating anything, you're just awakening. It's not about me and whether I'm good person, bad person, right or wrong, capable or incapable, but it's just the simple reality of attentiveness in the present. So I experience this as a listening. So when I, when I reflect in this way, immediately I'm aware of the sound of silence, which is very, uh, in this temple, this, this temple was built around the sound of silence. Now that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? <coughs> but many people have commented that this is a, a, a very silent place. Uh, and of course my intention when, when it came to the, to the uh, question of building a Buddhist temple here, the architect, Tom Hancock, said, what, what do you want me to build? What kind of temple? And so I was being facetious. I said, uh, well, I want you to build a temple uh, here uh, that as soon as stressed out people from London, as soon as they enter the temple, they feel calm and quiet. Then, of course, I was just, I wasn't expecting him to be able to accomplish such a feat. But actually, Many people, and not just myself, but many people, and stressed out Londoners have said that it's very still and quiet in here. <clears throat> but also being aware of the, the that's a background for the uh, feeling, the emotion, the kind of thoughts or physical sensations you're experiencing. It's like space and form, isn't it? It's a, space gives us perspective, a perspective on the forms in it. And the sound of silence gives us a perspective on the feelings, uh, emotional feelings, physical feelings, thinking, the thinking process memories. So this is like Bhutto also taking this, this word, this mantra, and then making it work for you. It's not, you know, just to say the word, just as a mechanical recitation doesn't, is not so, you know, it's probably better than thinking a lot of other things, but you have to, you know, use the word, uh, reflect, look around it, investigate your own thinking of the word puto. 
It's as simple as that. Just to be aware that you're you're determining to think this, these two syllables, bu and to, and then there's an awareness of bu to, and the and the, that the awareness receives the word itself when it's present and absent. And so we discern its presence and its absence when there's no butog like this. When there is, it, it, uh, the, word, the very mantra itself arises and ceases. So from this simple experiment, investigation, you're realizing the way it is, the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. All conditions are impermanent, just like Bhutto thinking this one word, this mantra, it's about arising and ceasing. But that which is aware of the beginning, the arising and the cessation of Bhutto is not a word, is it? You don't create it. You're not, you're not creating uh, a Bhutto atmosphere. You're merely investigating the here and now. In fact, you're sitting and uh, you're looking inward, maybe instead of looking outward, admiring the temple or criticizing it or whatever, you're the, the important point now is just to not to look outward but inward and be the Bhutto, the knower. And so this word Bhutto becomes a kind of trigger, a kind of skillful means to remind ourselves that wherever we are, it's not just in a temple, but uh, you know, in our rooms, kutis, in London, wherever and we happen to be, uh, Bhutto is a good, good thing to take with you to stop just the obsessive, habitual, proliferating tendencies, habits that we uh, tend to carry with us in order to observe, to remind ourselves. So the, the emphasis is not so much on puto as a thing, but the awareness of this puto. And of course, Buddha is the awakened consciousness. Awakened, aware, conscious reality of this moment. So each one of us is conscious at this moment. And so that's, you know, taken for granted. Now whether we're aware or not, something else. You know, we can be lost in our own fantasy world, our problems, our uh, views and opinions, or whatever might be going on inside your mind. But there's consciousness. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to think or feel anything. <laughs> but because there is consciousness, then you then, and then consciousness with Bhutto, with awareness. You're putting yourself in a different position than operating with consciousness from the ego or the self view. 
Now, when I'm conscious through my ego, through the sense of myself, or in the Pali uh, word Sakaya Ditti, personality view, the created sense of myself as a person, as a personality, as a physical body, as a man or woman, as a monk or a nun, a layman, laywoman, as an American or British or Thai or Japanese or anything else. These, behind all that is consciousness which has no nationality. It isn't about nationality or gender or religion or culture or age or anything else. So we just, this is an investigation to, to notice, to inquire into. But now if I come from my personality, from my conditioned sense of myself, from my habitual tendencies, my emotional habits, my cultural biases, cultural attitudes, preferences, prejudices, views and opinions, I'm still conscious, there's still consciousness, but that consciousness, there's, it's not awareness that's operating, but it's conditionality, isn't it? It's uh, Sakya Ditti, Silabhata Baramasa Vichikicha, the first three fetters. So these are, these are the, the, the jargon of this tradition, Pali, Pali language, but it means personality, cultural conditioning and which he just doubt or and doubt always the result of attachment to thinking. Blind, unenlightened attachment to the thinking process. We're never quite sure. We always, why do we feel so insecure or in, in life? What is it in this human realm that we you know, we suffer even when we're in affluent situations, when there is a certain level of security and certainty in our lives, we can still worry and suffer and feel self-conscious. Worry about the future. Now that, you know, you listen to the news, there seems to be so many things going off, going in the wrong direction, falling apart. Uh, terrorism and economy crashes and whatnot. And of course, attachment to this kind of thinking, when we think about the future from these, um, from this perspective, don't we? we? When I start thinking about the economy crashing, terrorism, overpopulation, pollution, and the future, what kind of mental state do you, do you experience? Now I find that I start worrying. It looks pretty grim. You're filling your mind with, uh, with you know, listening to the BBC uh, World Service and they tell you about all the horrible things happening in the world. And then the future, what, what, what can we expect for the future? 
if the economy crashes, if if there's too many, if there, if there's a climatic change, what's going to happen to the world if if we don't solve the problems? Uh, stop this uh, world terrorism, this uh, pollution, and on and on like this. We've got to get the economy back into action. We've got to make people spend their money again. You hear this on, on the, in the radio. They want to uh, dole out all kinds of money now so people will spend it to get the economy going because our economy depends on you spending your money. <coughs> and that means you've got to want things. And uh, so you have to, we have to create a society that's based on greed, on creating greediness in human beings so that you want things. There's always something you want. And, and you, you don't, you know, the, the advertisements, advertising, it's all about creating desire in us for something something better than what we have. We, we like the idea of progress and development and, and a society that's evolving uh, towards a better position, a higher level. We have this sense of higher and lower, something better or worse. Progress is the, is the, the great word that we worship. It's, it, things should progress endlessly progress, meaning they should get better. So this is, this is cultural conditioning and this affects uh, what we call silabhata baramasa, this, uh, the, the views, the attitudes, the assumptions we make through cultural conditioning that we, we acquire. This is not dhamma, this is not the natural way of things, progress and development and getting th and things getting better and better and perfect societies uh, with complete fairness and justice and so forth. These are ideals but these are not Dhamma. This is not the way it is. And yet we're conditioned through this, uh, through ignorance. Our societies are based on ignorance of Dhamma, not on understanding, profound, wise understanding of the way it is, but on the way we'd like life to be, the way we want it to be. Maybe we're from a, from a modern society that wants, can, can idealize a, a perfect society, utopian society, or we're from a very traditional one that wants to go back to the to the old ways, uh, to prop up the old traditional forms and fear anything uh, that might change them. Or we might think we should get rid of all the traditional forms and just move towards the ideal forms. What is the best we can possibly think of? But in both these, these tendencies, we, we're, it's, it's still based on the assumption that I am somebody who has to do something, to get something I don't have. 
or what I have is there's something wrong with it and I've got to get rid of it. So when we observe this, when we are mindful, when we remember this magic word, buto, sound of silence, then we begin to notice just through simple investigation that whatever you're thinking or feeling at this moment is changing. It has no permanent essence or substance to it. It is the way it is though. Whatever you're feeling at this moment or thinking is like this. It is, it is what it is in its, you know, whether it's pleasant, painful, right, wrong, good or bad is not the issue, but it is changing. Try to sustain a thought and keep it or an emotion. Try to keep an emotion of happiness or sadness or, you know, you, you know, just try to, when you deliberately try to sustain sadness and depression and despair, can you really do it? Sometimes we sink into those negative mental states and then it seems like we're, we are in a permanent kind of depressed state of being. But once we awaken to it and try to stay depressed, keep our depression, hold on to it, and see if you can do it. Or isn't that very act of awakening to it changes our relationship to the feeling of despair or depression, fear, insecurity. Happiness is what we'd like to keep. I want to be happy and find a place where life is, is always, I feel secure and safe, loved, and uh, where I'm always happy. And, and so that's, you know, we can spend our life looking for happiness, but life isn't the experience of happiness. Happiness comes and goes, unhappiness comes and goes. But that which is constant is awareness. This is why it is our refuge, awakened attention, consciousness, awakened consciousness, knowing reality the truth of the way it is. Now language itself is um, dualistic. <clears throat> the thinking process, thinking itself is a dualistic function And so that's why, you know, I uh, encourage you all the time to observe thinking, to be the observer of thinking rather than the thinker. You know the famous Rodin sculpture, the thinker, sitting at the gate of hell in utter despair. This is a <laughs> wichikicha, doubt. 
When you think about yourself from ignorance, about the world, about life, about, you know, what you, how things should be, or not wanting things to be the way they are, you end up like that. Not like the Buddha Rupa, say. Now notice the Buddha Rupa, this icon, is, uh, this Buddha Rupa does, has never thought one thought. So there's no doubt he doesn't suffer from Wichikicha. Well, these are symbols and icons that they're good to reflect upon. You know, the sculpture that, that uh, conveys the sense of passion, of bravery, of strength, of fear, of doubt, despair. That angels and devils. And we can create all these different uh, qualities in figures, in forms, in in brass, in, in uh, bronze, in marble, whatever, resin or any substance that you can form uh, images with and make them into forms that are, you know, extreme, a happy, uh, a happy person or an unhappy one. I remember one time I was in Rome and somebody invited me to their flat. I went into their flat in Rome and they, and they had this uh, head uh, of, a, of a boy on, the, on, the, on a pedestal. And this head was the saddest looking face I've ever seen in my life. You just looked at this, this, the face on this boy's head was a sculptor, and it was the epitome of sadness. And it made you want to cry just by looking at it, even though, it, you know, it was just a, I don't know what it was made out of. It was a marvelous sculpture in its own way, because it was, you know, it conveyed this sense of total, unmitigated sadness, unrelenting sadness. Now, sadness or happiness, uh, ec ecstasy or depression or whatever, these are changing conditions. And there's a part of us, no matter how, what level of sadness we reach or ecstasy, that knows that these are, that we're feeling this. Now we can get lost in these, you know, the more ecstatic states we like to, to give ourselves to ecstasy because that's exciting and fun. Sadness and depression and despair, we don't like. But yet we can get stuck in those mental states because we, we don't know how to see them or how to relate to them. When you're despairing and depressed, it seems like you're going to be that way forever. Try to imagine when you're depressed that you'll ever be, have one moment of happiness ever again. You can't. You think your life is ruined, you're a total uh, failure, life has no purpose, life is no good, it's all horrible, and it seems like that is never going to change. 
Now, once you are aware of this mental state, rather than judging it or identifying with it, but observing it, your relationship to it changes from attachment to non-attachment. So that's what this awakened attention does. It's, it, it's, it's not trying to get rid of depression or despair or the negativity. Not, it's not an act of annihilation, but it's uh, a willingness to see it in terms of what it really is. It is what it is in the present. And the puto, the knowing of it, as Dhamma, Buddha Dhamma. It's through this puto that we see Dhamma. Or putting it in modern terms, it's awakened consciousness, knowing reality, knowing the real. So this is what we mean by an enlightened individual. We talk about enlightenment, or it, enlightenment doesn't mean some kind of magical, radiant experience. It means awakening, conscious, awakened consciousness to reality. So this is, it's rather humble. It's not absolutely fantastic or, you know, d nobody's going to know, probably. It could be just, you know, it's not observable by most people, but you know. You can know this yourself. So language itself has to be reflected upon, the thinking, the ability to think, just uh, the sense of I am, just these two words, a pronoun and a verb. And so this uh, I am, you know, when you think it deliberately, we, we use it all the time. You know, but how many of you really investigate this sense of I am? Have you ever paid attention or just use, well, I'm Ajahn Sumedho and you're so-and-so. I am an American Buddhist monk, uh, Theravada, I am <laughs> 70 for 75 years old, I am. But just, just before you put any, any adjectives onto it, you say I am is a statement, a kind of assertion of being, isn't it? Before you become a person. Now this is a way to investigate the thinking process. Uh, uh, looking inward, sound of silence, I am. It does, this is a statement that resonates, doesn't it? And it's not saying I am good or bad or right or wrong, but it is using language for a statement of being at this moment. But then, usually I am is is connected to something else. So I am Ajahn Sumato, I am 74 years old. <laughs> now when you go into that, then it's different, isn't it? It's not a statement of being, it's a statement of uh, that I am somebody 
with a name. I am a Theravadan Buddhist monk. I am an American. I am uh, 74 years old. So that is... Then, then it gets into this... Uh, it triggers off all the personal sense of me as a person, memories, my past, what I like and don't like, what I want and don't want, what I approve of and don't, what I fear, what I desire, what I want to get rid of. Now, doing this intentionally is a kind of a way of investigating. You know, so you, you really, it's not, I mean, anything you want to think is, you know, don't, no, there's no boundaries, no, nothing you shouldn't think. But the encouragement is to think in an intentional way, just to be the observer rather than become the thing that you're thinking. Now, if I become Ajahn Sumato without awareness, then, then I do. You know, I'm lost in, in a sense of myself, my separateness, and memories, my past, what I've done, my attainments or lack of them, the qualities of whether I'm good, bad, right, or wrong. But when, when I think, from awareness, then thinking becomes a tool rather than just a habit. And so the Buddha was encouraging us to use the thinking process no longer as just, you know, just bound by the conditioning of the mind, the cultural conditioning, the ego, the personality conditioning, but to awaken to that so we can see it for what it is. Some of it's good, some of it's not good. Some of it's skillful, some of it's unskillful. But when we don't know this, when we don't have that perspective, when we're not aware, then we're merely caught in a sticky web of Sakaya Ditti, the self, the personality. It goes around and around, doesn't it? Just try to solve all your problems through thinking about them, through judging them. Who's to blame? Are you blaming somebody, your mother and father, or life, or God, or are you blaming yourself? Some people see that, you know, like to blame themselves, or they blame others. But this awareness is not about blaming, it's not, it's not blaming anything, it's observing the tendency to blame. In a modern society like this one, we, <clears throat> we complain a lot. Complaining. And so, uh, you know, listen to yourself complaining about life, about others, about Amravati, about England, about the world in general, <laughs> about the weather, about the food. And it's full of I am, isn't it? It's just, I, I want the weather to be otherwise. I want, I want this to be something else. I want something I don't have. 
So the complaining mind is uh, sakyayaditi. It can come from silabhattabharamasa because we can, we know how things should be. We know how uh, the world should be, about how a society should be, about how uh, our government should be about how, uh, how Amaravati should be. We can come from Silabhattabharamasa about wanting it to be, uh, you know, good and everybody living in harmony, peacefulness, uh, justice, fairness, freedom, understanding, sensitivity, loving kindness. We think about how it should be. according to maybe uh, our ideals of our culture. Or if we're from a traditional culture, then we, we, we might find Amravati, it, it isn't the way it should be according to Thai culture or Sinhalese culture. So, and this is the observer of of this, you know, the knowing, the puto knowing, that the thinking, the complaining mind is what it is. It's nothing, not saying you shouldn't, that complaining is, uh, not trying to say don't complain, but be the observer of complaining rather than the complainer. It's the changing from, from being, becoming the, the condition you're attached to, to observing, to the, being the puto knowing Dhamma rather than this person with these justified gripes. Now the, the um, directness of this path is it's very simple and uh, and of course it takes because we're, we're not simple. You know, our personalities are complicated usually and uh, we have a lot of uh, fears and desires and opinions and views and so forth that make our lives very complicated. <clears throat> because our culture has not been, it's not grown out of wisdom, out of understanding Dhamma, it's grown out of uh, different attitudes, power struggling, ideals. Uh, it worships rationality, trying to solve everything by being reasonable trying to uh, make everything, you know, try to, uh, believing in progress and making everything better and better and then feeling a failure when, when it goes the other way. So in this uh, reflection on all conditioned phenomena as a Nietzsche Dukkha Nata, this is, uh, this is a way of observing condition phenomena that's not judging it 
as good, bad, right, or wrong, but it is observing this characteristic of all conditions are impermanent. Being the knower of impermanence rather than the impermanent knower, be the knower of impermanence. And that very knowing then is then is is what we can actually do at every moment. It's, it's a this a, being in a separate form in a human form like this, and a conscious form. Then it is uh, you know we're experiencing knowing from this place, from this from the limitation of this form. Like consciousness has no limitation, but the form does. So this form that I call my body is limited form. Consciousness isn't limited. But I'm experiencing consciousness through the limitation of a form. Contemplate that. So then... Uh, and these are natural conditions, the body and consciousness are not cultural or personal. They're not, it's not the body and consciousness are not Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikita, the first three fetters. Body and consciousness are natural. Consciousness we don't create, the body we don't create it, we create an identity with it. Who created the body anyway, I've often wondered. <laughs> but the fact is that right now I don't need to know who created it. It's, it is like this, right now it's sitting here. And there's consciousness, there's Bhutto, so there's reflective attention. There's awakenedness with consciousness. It's like this. And so then it, it, it doesn't mean that I'm a kind of blank zombie, but it, whatever, I, you know, it gives me perspective on physical sensations, heat and cold, pleasure and pain, on uh, emotional feelings, happiness, sadness. I can actually observe a sense of self the sense of what I think, what I want, if you want my view. I used to do this a lot. In the, if you want to know what I think, I want to tell you my view. And, and notice how when I talk like this, I say, my, I always emphasize this word, this pronoun, my, this possessive pronoun, my view, what I, and what I, me, Ajahn Sumedho, thinks is a, an announcement of myself as a real person whose opinions are, should be listened to and respected. Now, I'm just listening to that in myself. We all have it, you know, so, uh, this sense of wanting people to understand me 
and respect me and appreciate me and to love me and to uh, uh, on and on like this. You know, I, I want, I need, I have to have. I feel offended, I feel hurt, I feel sad, I feel angry because I don't get what I need or what I want or what, what you're supposed to give me, what I expect from the world. And so then on the person, then I'm lost in the personality view, Sakaya Ditsi. And then with Bhutto, then make Bhutto and then sound of silence, awareness. And I'm going to be aware of, of this sense of myself and my view and what I like and don't like. But it's with awareness now rather than with ignorance. When it's with ignorance, then I get caught. I really believe I am a person. I, you know, I'm fully convinced that I'm somebody, a separate person, as a permanent, ongoing reality. And I'm always Ajahn Sumedho. And then uh, what will happen when, uh, when Ajahn Sumedho drops dead? What happens to Ajahn Sumedho? That's what everybody questions, isn't it? When I die, what happens to me? Do I have a soul that will go someplace or be reborn as something else? This, uh, this is all about thinking, isn't it? Attachment to thought, to concept, to the sense of a self. It's, it's difficult for people to, to let go of the self. Even if it's not a very nice self. And that it, we, people hold on to very negative views about themselves and you wonder why. Why do they want to see themselves in such negative terms? This is a kind of security. You know who you are. You, you know I'm no good, absolute rotter. And I'm proud of it. <laughs> well, you hear people talking about how bad they are. And it's a kind of, it is a security in defining yourself in some way, with some kind of adjective. <clears throat> now when there is no self, And you begin to really recognize, realize non-self, anatta. Then that's dhamma. That's that's the dhamma. That's truth. That's the way it is. And then the self is merely a function, a conventional form. You know, so I have a name, Ajahn Sumedho and so forth, it's fair enough. But it's no longer uh, a perception than I define myself with, a believe in and attach to. It's in a perspective. It's merely a, a conventional form in the inner society. So this is uh, like for you to investigate and find out. I'm not trying to uh, tell you what you should do, but it's an encouragement. 
because it, it does, you know, it's a very direct teaching and, and it does take determination because in all our lives, no matter what age we are, how long we've been in the Sangha or anything, we're going to have uh, challenges to the Dhamma. Like I've been a monk 42 years now and still, you know, things arise, strong feelings arise, crises, difficult situations, praise and blame and all the rest. It doesn't mean you, you avoid or get out of life, but you know how to relate to it, how to use, how to learn from the way it is. But, and it's a simple, continuous reminder. No matter how unfair life might seem or painful or distressing or wonderful and fantastic, a refuge is in the knowing rather than in the quality that we're experiencing, whether it's marvelous or miserable. In that refuge, then, we don't create suffering. Even when life is miserable, we needn't create suffering about it. And that, that's, that's quite that's difficult to imagine, you know, because we think, when things are miserable, then that's that's suffering. When conditions get miserable, that's the way it is. Sometimes life is miserable, and uh, but do we need to suffer from that misery? And so this is where you know you you begin to see discern the difference between attachment and non-attachment. We can bear misery and loss and all kinds of things, physical pain, sickness, old age, loss of the loved, uh, being uh, condemned, humiliated, rejected, crucified, misunderstood, disrespected. We can bear all of this This is bearable, but what we can't bear is our own wanting it to be otherwise. By not being aware, by identifying with it, by blaming ourselves or others, by uh, not being awake, but believing that, that this misery is really mine, and then, that, then, we, um, then that's the suffering that we create onto the experience of life. When we observe the truth of the way it is, then some life changes. So it's sometimes marvelous, sometimes miserable. Much of it is neither nor. So much of one's life is neither particularly marvelous or miserable. It's like this, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, breathing, inhaling, exhaling, eating food, going to bed, walking from here to there, feeling the changes of seasons, the, the winter, springs, summer, autumn, 
That's, most of these are, you know, they're all bearable, aren't they? The changing of the seasons bearable. But if we say, I don't want the winter, that's the suffering. We can bear the coldness of winter, that's not suffering. The suffering is, I don't want cold, I don't want winter. I don't like England in the winter time. That's the suffering that we create. Or sickness, say you, you have, you're sick, you have an ailment, disease. Physical disease. Now that's, is that suffering? The suffering that the Buddha is referring to is the suffering of, of not wanting it, of, of uh, feeling sorry for yourself, of blaming, of, of feeling uh, frightened, angry, or whatever you feel about having a physical uh, disease physical problems, disabilities, or whatever. Or we, we can recognize that human bodies are subject to old age, sickness, death. That that's the way it is. And the human body is like that. It's born and therefore it's subject to measles and influenza and uh, polio and cancer and diabetes and so forth as well as old age and the inevitable death in the future. These are not suffering, this is not suffering. Suffering is when we don't, I don't want to get old, I don't want sickness or pain, I only want pleasure and happiness and I want to live forever never die, then we create, then that's the creation out of ignorance. It's a vicha, not understanding, not observing, not knowing the way it is, then we create the suffering. Even, even when we're healthy and wealthy and happy, because we know that, that these conditions change. It's like modern society now, and that with the affluent Western world, uh, you know, how's it going to change? How much am I going to suffer? How much money am I going to lose? How much discomfort will I have to, how much will I have to give up? And on and on like this, we expect we can create a lot of worry, anxiety, fear, resentment about the future with the uh, deva dutta signs that are manifesting at this time. Or we can use this time for observing. Awakened, conscious attention, being the knowing itself, and respecting that, your own ability to be awake and aware. It doesn't seem like much in worldly values, you know, that you don't get rewards for it or prizes, but it is the only thing worthwhile in life is just the simple reality of awakened consciousness. That's, that's the refuge and that's the only thing worth trusting and, and, and worshipping 
and adoring and loving is awakened consciousness in yourself. And don't claim it as some kind of personal uh, quality because then you lose it. So it's, uh, you know, the, the thing I really appreciate about Buddha Dhamma is that it is practical. It's not, it's not, I'm not asking for miracles or to be, or to have an easy ride through life. I'm not asking for, for God to come and save me and, and bring me happiness and protect me from any misery. I'm not asking for anything special, special privileges. But it's, uh, you know, just the seeing the opportunity within this human form, this situation that we're all experiencing now for understanding, for knowing in the, through wisdom rather than through conditioned attitudes, through cultural biases, through personal uh, identities, that we can actually free ourselves from suffering doesn't mean we don't get old and never have illnesses or never die. It means we don't suffer from the natural flow of change as we experience it. So then there's this emphasis on the unconditioned, unborn. Uh, this is... Uh, don't try to find it. It's not something, it, when you think about the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, you can't, you know, it, it makes, you know, just end up with nothing. Because the thinking process is all about the formed and the created, the conditioned. But it's using language, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, not as a definition of anything, but a reflection. What is it right now? And it is, you know, when you want a name for it, it's mindfulness. Being aware now. It's, uh, it's imminent. It's here and now. That's it. And then the then the formed and the created come out of that, you know, so you, I am Ajahn Sumedho and on and on like this. That's the, the scenario of my life, what I like and don't like, my passions, my fears, my desires, my views and opinions all come out of that. Now, do I want to live in that sticky web of self, or, if there's a way out, there is an escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition. And so the escape of that, uh, the way to, to free ourselves from that sticky web uh, 
of conditionality is awakened consciousness here and now. Mindfulness, awareness, paying attention, observing, discerning. So I offer this for your reflection.